Welcome to the Book Trophy Podcast. I'm Sarah McDooling. I'm here today with my amazing colleague, Shanu Prasad, and we are both very excited to be talking to one of our favourite authors, Jacqueline Moriarty. Hello. Thank you so much for saying that. And it's lovely to be here with you both. Thank uh, you so much well, for coming on and talking to us. We nice. both loved this book. Oh, thank uh, you. Sarah Absolutely. handed me a copy and I was like, okay, great. I'm going to read that probably next week. And then I got home and I opened it and I started reading it and then I finished reading it <laughs> in the same, <laughs> in the so same nice day. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then we've had so many conversations about it since. Yes. It's a wonderful book. I should name the book for the people listening. It is called <laughs> The Stolen Prince of Cloudburst. And it is the third book in the Kingdoms and Empires series. And for the people listening, Jacqueline, could you just give a brief overview about um, what they can expect from this book? Sure. Well, um, although it's the third book in the, in the series, it's, it's also, it doesn't have to be the third book because it's a standalone story. So I wanted to make um, all of the books, even though they're interconnected, I, and I do that with my other series too. I think because it drives me crazy when I accidentally pick a book up and don't realize that it's, it's come somewhere. It's a fifth book in a, chron- a chronolog- chronological series where I, I'm confused, like I have a vague sense of confusion all the time. Wait, how are we supposed to know that? Um, and then it ends and you don't have a satisfying ending, makes me angry. So I like the idea of books in series, but I also do like the idea of exploring different parts of a world and different characters, little minor characters who have been around the edges of one book. So they're interconnected and, and also the idea of developing and getting to know characters more. So they are interconnected, but it is standalone. So with this one, um, in the first book, the first book was about, I'm sorry if this answer is going on for too long, um, no, no, no. I love, I love it. Let's talk about book one, one of my faves, Bronte Metal oh, Thank you. Because um, <laughs> in the first book, Bronte, The Extremely Inconvenient Adventures of Bronte Metalstone, it's about a 10-year-old girl who goes on an adventure visiting her 10 aunts and delivering treasure to each of the aunts. So the least favourite aunt and the aunt with whom she had the most difficult visit was Aunt Nancy. And... After I'd, after I'd finished the book, um, so Aunt Nancy has three daughters of her own and the three daughters are at boarding school and Bronte in the Bronte Metalstone book also spends some time at the boarding school visiting those three sisters. So after I'd finished it, two things occurred to me. One was that um, I love boarding school books. So I'd love to spend more time at the boarding school with these three sisters. And I really liked the three sisters. They were very enthusiastic. They loved each other. I liked that they loved each other as sisters and they were very enthusiastic about their cousin Bronte. So I like the idea of getting to know more about them um, and, and, and spending some time at boarding school with them. But also because Aunt Nancy is um, a difficult character. She's almost like one of the villains in the book, even though she's more complex than a villain and she doesn't mean to be as difficult as she is. So I did think a lot about what it would be like to have her as a mother and um, how that might make the three sisters bond more closely. So the Stolen Prince of Cloudburst is the story really of the middle sister of those three sisters at the boarding school and her name is Esther and it's the start of a new school year. Esther and her sisters have just gone back to boarding school. Esther is 
discovered that her two best friends are no longer at boarding school. Her two sisters are quite uh, important. I said, ah, <laughs> are quite, are quite important character, are quite important talented people, and they've suddenly become very busy because of their talents. Esther uh, has a new teacher who, and there are rumors around that she might be an ogre. And so Esther is feeling quite lost and lonely. And that's how the book begins. Now, tantalizingly mentioned. So sorry. <laughs> you mentioned one of the characters I think we wanted to talk about, which is Esther's teacher, Mrs. Pollock, um, who, in Shano and I's discussion about this book, a lot of it was about Mrs. Pollock. <laughs> um, what, <laughs> what, what are we allowed to say about this character and keep things relatively spoiler-free for the listeners? Yeah, you can you can say whatever you like about her I guess without uh, I think I think you go ahead you go ahead I'm just gonna say that she was my favorite teacher to read about in a book since uh Matilda and Trunchbull oh really I yeah I felt that sense of when <laughs> I was reading about a teacher than I did um in in this book here and I think that's actually what I mean the, the all the plots and everything that's happening and the, the you know ev everything is great but I think that's what really propelled me through um through the story was to see um how Esther would triumph because I'm you know I was hoping that she would triumph but to see how how that would happen um because uh, it seems like Mrs. Pollock is one of those characters that I think a lot of people will have had experience with in real life um, who come across one way, but are actually something else mm -hmm. and have this amazing mm -hmm. ability to make you doubt yourself. Um, yes. So I think that was really, really great to see that actually played out in a book for kids um, in a way that shows them that um, and then have the other characters that and the other situations that come in that um, counteract that. Hopefully that's saying something without saying Well, <laughs> no, that's perfect. I mean, that's fantastic. I, I think probably that is going to be clear to readers anyway. So I don't think that is a spoiler at all. And I'm very grateful to you for explaining that so well. That's, that's what I wanted to, um, I, I wanted to have a teacher character who wasn't the usual there are plenty of books with teachers who are horrible and they are openly bullies and angry or, or violent. And I wanted a more subtly evil teacher because like you say, I feel like there are teachers like that out there in the world. There are also wonderful teachers. Yes. And you have some oh, yeah. teachers in the book as well. Oh my yes. goodness. Oh. I, I'm going to get his name wrong because every single time I get trying anyone, Mr. This is why I need to write everyone's names down <laughs> from when, when I'm reading books. Be, Beetle, be, be, the dance teacher, the teacher that teaches them dancing. Oh, I think that's Mr. The most Dahili. That's the one. Dahili, I don't know yeah. where I get the B from, but yeah. he was. He I was, was moved to tears <laughs> at a certain point. <gasps> in the yes. Like, yes. Actually, a few times. Actually, a few times. But that one really, one's in connection with that. Really, sort of sprung out. This is. What I, what I love so much about all of your books is that you bring so much um, like 
humour to it, but it's like such a it's such a Jacqueline Moriarty brand of humour. Like I just, um, it's not. It's honestly just it's unique to your books. It's like a quirkiness and unexpected um, joke, a sense of the ridiculous. Like it's all just like such a great type of humour. And then on top of that, it's um, a marvellous uh, creatively imagined world and um, this really emotion-driven story full of, like, such beautiful raw emotion. And I guess I'm not ask, asking a question, really. I'm just saying that that's how I feel about your book. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't need to be a question. I'm just sitting here smiling. You're just making me happy. <laughs> So I'm very happy for you to talk like that if, it, if, if that means missing questions. Thank you so much. That's it's really always, nice of you. Thank you. It's, it's always just such a treat to, to get a new book from you. And, um, and these ones as well, this, this particular series, as you mentioned, it's, it's great because it, you could read them in any order um, and they're all a very complete story. They're also objects of extreme beauty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like these covers are out of control gorgeous and um, all the illustrations and stuff what goes into like the cover design and and illustrations for the series it's just ridiculous how much I love these covers they (laughs) and how much better each one has got too I think because these are previously I wrote young adult fiction mainly and a, a couple of adult books so these are the first times that I've and I've written the kind of books that I had always secretly wanted to write because that was, you know, when you fall in love with reading, it's usually around that age between seven or eight and 12 when you get to enter those magical worlds and you half believe or or 75% believe that they are actually real and they become the most intense magical experiences for you I think so that's why I wanted to always wanted to write for that age group so I'm so happy to be writing for that age group I'm so ridiculously happy about it sometimes I find myself just sitting here in front of my computer not actually writing for a long time because I'm just sitting here thinking I'm so happy <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually do anything I did oh I love this I'm so happy and then eventually you're thinking well it's not gonna the happiness won't last if you <laughs> sit here smiling no <laughs> around at the world um so so writing for this age group makes me very happy and part of the happiness that I hadn't realized would be connected to it is the fact that there are illustrations and being illustrated has brought me so much joy. A big part of it, I think, is that the, the my publishers went through uh, a few different illustrators and styles of illustrations, sending them to me to ask what things I was most drawn to and what seemed to capture the mood of the book until they showed me some, some of Kelly Camby's illustrations and I love them so much and that was they seemed to connect with my mind and my way of thinking and seemed just right for the book and then luckily Kelly Camby who is a Perth-based illustrator agreed to do the illustrations for me and every time I get a set of illustrations for each of these books it just makes me exuberant with happiness and the covers for each each book I've thought I could never be happier with a cover and then the next book no I'm happier with this one so I think this one in particular I can't stop looking at it it's got a a kind of 
depth to it that I love that the the dimensions of it and take us seem to take us it's got a a pier that goes into the apart from the colors which are magnificent there's a kind of gorgeous like a sunset yeah exactly that uh, really unexpected colors and it also just seems to take you down into a whole world of because there's a party happening on a beach along a pier that was that was an amazing scene in the book um, that's the other thing about about the book as well is that there is still this like real sense of like of danger it's like true danger you know there's mm-hmm. there's there's a scene where they go to the swimming pool and something and then you know and something happens and you know children are like actually hurt you know that's that's not doesn't always happen I mean you know things get solved but um, I thought that was really really great as well to have in there that you're not just you know completely making it like you know, if something bad happens, then it's like there are no consequences. You know, it's just like totally fine, everything's fine. But mm. just to, um, did you feel like that was important? Just to make sure that there was still, a, you know, some actual uh, feeling of um, high stakes. High stakes, yeah. yeah. High stakes, yeah. yeah. I, feel, I feel like if you want to take a story seriously, you have to be able to to go to the edge in that way without being scary. I, I mean, it has to be a bit scary, but without being too intensely scary, you're still safe within the world of the story, I think. And Esther is the narrator, so she's keeping you safe, I think. But reading old classic, I, I read a lot of children's books and tell myself I have to for research, <laughs> but really loving them. And a lot of the classic children books are quite, it can can be quite ruthless with the serious things that happen in in life, and I thought kids can cope with these things more than more than we think they can. My English editor did say that swimming pool scene. My English editor did say, "Oh, maybe that's going too far," but I disagreed and said, "No." <laughs> I think yeah, if, if, if Kelly had illustrated that scene potentially a little bit too far, but I think <laughs> yeah, it's without, true. without the illustrations, you get. <laughs> Strikes yeah, a, strikes a good balance of understanding what, why, you know, why it's really important um, for a resolution to be found to the to the issues, and it really, I think that that's that's the point, right? I think where it starts to become more serious, like the problems that are happening um, in this sort of magical world that's kind of been, you know, hasn't really had any issues for the for the girls before, and then all of a sudden they they have issues at school, and then there's issues around them, and then issues with their families. Um, and it sounds like we're making this sound like a really depressing book, but it's not that at all. As you, as, as Sarah was saying, it's no, so funny. it's so delightful. <laughs> it's a wonderful um, and we funny book, but it does have high stakes. Thank you. Yeah. I think of stakes. <laughs> um, which, sorry, I don't. I just have to ask about the poker. <laughs> um, that was like I, when I first read that. I was like, did I read that right? Like Sarah and I were like, they're playing poker. That little kids are playing and doing competitions. Can you talk to us about so how wonderful. you came up with that? <laughs> I think it is a bit of wanting to put some high stakes in there, and uh, like you were saying, and also to give them an, an uh, edge because these three girls, I mentioned being poker players in in the other book. They these three girls are very sweet, effusive, generous, kind-hearted, and they love the magic magical world that they live in so in their in their school the school is in the mountains and has been surrounded by bright mages generally and has had no trouble with shadow mages until this book opens when the shadow mages come to the mountains but i really liked the idea 
in Bronte that they they were very excited to meet her and they're lovely and seem young but when they started playing a game of poker suddenly they were as serious as any adult because I think kids can definitely in games and in life take things as seriously as 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 they need to and can be very bright intelligent shrewd and game playing is such a huge part of childhood that we lose to an extent in adulthood and a game is boring if you don't take it seriously so games go wrong when and kids always hate that when when some kids are giggling or breaking the rules or cheating yep. then everything falls apart if you take it as seriously as you can then the game is wonderful and makes sense as a game. So these kids, and that's to do with their relationship with their mother to the poker playing because their mother's a tough woman who who has given them a hard time in various different ways, but she has taught them how to play poker because she knows the, um, the mother knows that the world is a tough place to live in and you have to have skills and skills include being able to read other people and the poker poker a game of poker is about reading other people and about hiding your own emotions so and hiding your plans and strategy so that's what these girls have learned to do and they are very skillful at it i loved that i loved i loved the poker for all of those reasons and um, particularly in, in connection with that, that being their bond with their mother, because it seemed to really, you know, fit with that character that she would impart those skills. Okay. Um, Thank you. And then I also just liked it on another level because there's something inherently funny about, <laughs> there's just something inherently quirky and funny about all of these, like, um, boarding school girls <laughs> going off to compete in a poker tournament. <laughs> like, I, don't, I just really... It's really, I, I enjoyed it. But we mentioning um, the mother, how difficult is it to write? Like you're balancing a lot here. You've got um, the kids in this world with a lot of, you know, marvellous adults who are in their life, um, but also some that aren't, well, some that are flawed. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I just, I guess we both wondered how, how difficult it is to balance that and not have it be too much for kids. Like, I fully, I think you nail it specifically. Like, you you don't um, condescend to the kids and you don't, like, make everything sunshine and lollipops, but you are also able to get across these big ideas in just the perfect way. And does it take a lot of... Is that a big balancing act for you or is it just the space you write in? Like, um, It's a great question. And I, I do think about it. I did think about it in particular with this book because knowing when I read books myself, when you have a lot of empathy for the characters, you can be driven wild by someone being cruel to your character and, and it can feel oppressive and I wanted to make sure we didn't just start to get miserable along along with Esther and her frustrations. The fact that both her teacher and her mother are being cruel to her in in very different ways and in subtle ways, not in the obvious way. I so I definitely did worry about I did worry about that and tried to try to work out how to you want to push it as far as you can because that's the idea of a story that you want to push her so that she 
gets pushed into as far as she can, gets pushed into a corner and has to fight back eventually. So, but you also don't want to just make someone throw the book across the room and burst into tears because it's too much for them. <laughs> <clears throat> but that is what life is. Life can be like that, that you can be crushed and, and children know that and have experienced it. So I, I also trust children to not be sensitive as sensitive as we might fear they are. So I just got uh, the artwork for the American mm. edition of this book. I just got that email to me last night, yesterday morning, I mean, and I, and I was, uh, it's, it's completely different, a completely different style and I love it. It's beautiful. But they, the artist has drawn these letters at the start of each chapter with images all around them and some, and I love them. They're so stylish and, uh, unexpected and, and one and there are things like castles and or raindrops around the letters and then there's one which is an open mouth filled with sharp teeth and there's one that's little eyes all over <gasps> little eyes all over it and I was thought oh well hang on this is no we can't be doing this and little girls in their beds at night time reading with the open mouths and shark's teeth in their mouth. And I sent them, uh, so I sent some of the pictures to my family and my mother wrote back saying, oh yes, that's terrible. You can't, you have to tell them not to use that. But my three separate nieces all said, who were all little girls between nine and 12, I think, all said separately, that is so cool. That is awesome. <laughs> And yes, uh -huh. it's, they said, one of them said, yes, it's scary, but in an awesome way. <laughs> so I thought we have to be careful not to, we are afraid and we want to yeah. protect them so much, but life is quite scary. And if you can be a little bit scared in the safety of your own home, in the safety of a, a book that has a happy ending, then maybe that's a, hopefully a healthy way to learn to work through fears. 100%. And I think the reason I admire it so much um, in this book is that you, like, generally speaking, that there's exceptions to every rule, but generally speaking, you read kids' books that are funny and enchanting and whimsical, and then you read kids' books that might tackle some um, difficult issues and be a bit scarier, and you, you don't often come across such a perfect balance. <laughs> And I think, I think it's a real perfect balance here. And in the words of your niece, it's a scary but in an awesome way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Ah, Shana, I feel like I've dominated things. Do, do, do you have a question or should I keep um, pelting Jack? No, questions? no, no. You, um, you, you keep pelting. I have one question, but I'm having a, one of those things where I just keep forgetting the word of the, the thing that I'm looking for. So I'm just <laughs> looking for the word and then I will ask my question after your next question, Sarah. <laughs> okay, so my question is, um, after reading Bronte Metalstone, I, I guess I had opinions on favourite aunts, but um, my favourite aunt of this book is Aunt Carrie because of an amazing speech she gives to... Uh, Esther at a point where she's feeling quite low and um, again I don't want to spoil things for, for people listening but the, the general theme of this speech is to when you're comparing yourselves to others and you feel like maybe you're not enough um, that you should you, no one's ever just one thing they're like you know we all contain multitudes and I've done that thing again where I just talk about how much I like a part of the book and it's not really <laughs> <interesting>. but um, <laughs> 
but really, I guess I just wanted you to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the, the do you know the part I'm talking about without saying all the details? I know, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, was, I, I'm really glad you like that part. I liked, I liked writing that part. I, because I always fall in love with my characters and I was feeling really, I'm embarrassed to say, I think I cried when I wrote that part because I loved it. Oh. I'm so embarrassed to say I really cried reading it. <laughs> I, because I love Esther. I loved Esther and she was having such a hard time. And even though I like stories in which children figure things out themselves and, and that's what Esther does in the end, obviously. She's the hero herself. I also have always loved books and I think it's important to include the possibility of adults who step in and say just the right thing and are loving and kind. So I, it was like you were talking about balance. But I, I have a 14-year-old um, son who um, and something I found unexpected about being a parent, something that I hadn't realized before was one of the great joys was the adults in his life who paid special attention to helping him in some way or who cared about him or who used things. So you, you get this idea that as a parent, it's your job to sort them out, figure them out, and and you have to help them solve their problems, make them stronger, develop their talents, all of those things. And you, you know that you have to outsource some of that, but it's all about you having to sort that out. And I have thought before, this is, we used to talk about the village. I mean, we still do talk about the idea of a village raising a child, but more and more in modern times, it's just up to the parents to do it. So it's just you. So I think it hadn't even occurred to me how much I would love it when people cared about my child and brought out different aspects of my child and had talents of their own that I don't have. So I could never have shared them with him. And I had people who, and uh, we, I had babysitters for him when he was little. And I used to ride at home while a babysitter played with Charlie downstairs. And so it, was so blissful being able to hear the sound <laughs> of a babysitter doing something. So he had a babysitter named Aaron for a few years. He was fantastic with him because he's a very, and still is very active, sporty, athletic uh, boy. And so, and Erin luckily was someone who was very athletic and sporty herself. And she would, and, and she would, just spent hours kicking the ball around with him and chasing him around and playing racing games and so on. It was exactly what he needed and was perfect. <laughs> and then I had a babysitter who was an opera singer. And she, um, I always remember one day when I was upstairs in my study writing and I could hear downstairs that they had found a um, beetle in a spider's web and they were sitting down together and the beetle was still alive and they were sitting down together very slowly untangling the beetle from the spider's web rescuing it and setting it free and then she started singing in her operatic voice the hokey pokey so <laughs> the whole house was filled with the sound of the hokey pokey in an operatic version and i thought these are two things that it, my child would not have got from me because I cannot sing a single note for one thing and that would never have occurred to me to rescue a beetle from a spider's web. <laughs> but those two experiences in life, and then it is continued through his life, obviously with teachers and, and sports tutors and so on who have been so generous to him. So 
the fact that Aunt Carrie says gives his speech to Esther uh, with with an element of wisdom that her her parents haven't given to her is something I like the idea of including in the book. It was a, it was a golden moment in the book to be honest. You identify so strongly with Esther. She's such a great character, and you're you're in this journey with her and feel really protective of her. And when when you're that invested in a character and the character gets a speech like that, it honestly feels like a speech to you. <laughs> and I and when I read it and I felt as a grown woman, I felt so like touched by it. it you immediately can't help thinking about what that moment will be like for young readers. And I just think it's really special. Like what a what a great job you have. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I also really loved that um, that when Esther is, you know, being the hero, she is the hero before the point where you think she's going to be. She's doing these amazing things to keep her school safe because there's no one else to do it. And, and you know, she, and this is why she thinks she's not special, while she thinks she's just ordinary. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why as well that makes that, um, that moment so, so amazing is because Everyone else, as the reader, you can see, you know that she's that she's that she, that she's special and that she's amazing because, like, I wouldn't be going around doing all the things that, that she was doing. I would be too scared to do any to do any of that. Um, and so then to have someone else like come out and acknowledge that, and um, I can just imagine my um, I have uh, uh, a lot of nieces and nephews, and the younger ones uh, are they're going to absolutely love this book, and I I hope that they. Um, get that same feeling about how they're special as well um, just by being them. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. From, from reading the book too. Um, yeah. It was I can't so, so wonderful. I, Thank you. My nieces to be old enough to read your books, actually they're at the moment they're, um, they're five and six. Mm-hmm. And so six year old is approaching it. Like she, she she'll be there soonish, but um there are some books that you just can't wait to put into kids' hands and, and this series in particular is definitely one of them. Uh, so I did want to ask, um, is how, how many more Kingdom and Empires books can we look forward to in the near future? I, I would like to keep writing them for, um, for as long as people want to keep reading them. At the, at the moment, that's my feeling. I, because I keep getting more ideas about aspects of the kingdoms and empires or of characters who I would like to get to know more of. I'm nearly finished writing another book at the moment, which is about Bronte again. So Bronte and her and the three cousins, Esther and Imogen and Astrid are going on a, a journey together and they meet an unexpected boy who has a skateboard. Oh, I'm I'm there already. I'm there already. I can't wait. I'm so glad that they all come back. They all get to um, come back together again because we we uh, we only get a very little snippet of um, of some of the earlier characters uh, in uh, in this book. So I'm very excited to hear that they're going to be equally important into the in the next one. Good. Thank you. Because even though I like the idea of these standalone books, I also do like the idea of us getting to 
spend more time with the main characters from so a lot of them have the main characters from previous books become just have cameos in the next yeah. book or they're just peripheral characters and I thought well let's let them have a bit more time on center stage so I'm so glad I always loved in your um Brookvale Ashbury series how um past characters would like come in and and do a little cameo in one book, but maybe they would be back for more of a bigger part in the next book <laughs> to see them all hang out. Such a that was such a treat of that series. And it really helps um, make very the world, Yeah, really helps make the world feel so much more real when that when you do it that way because right, it's more yeah, realistic. Yeah. You know, like in your life, you don't spend equal amounts of time always with the same people forever. That's right. You know? So exactly. it feels like yeah, it's it's really fantastic. Yeah, like dropping in, dropping in and out of people's lives. Yeah. And so if that's what you're writing now, is that what is that what's coming next? Or do you have something else in the works coming between now and that book? I think that will be what's next because I've nearly finished it. So now the stolen princes up. This I don't have a title for the next one, but I guess that will be hopefully this time next year if I can. Exciting. I think I've nearly finished it. I'm at a phase where I've it's taken a while with this one to get into the phase where I just, it's writing itself in a way. And now I feel superstitious saying that because that might stop. But at the moment, usually it's hard work for the first few chapters and then it feels like I'm inside the book. And even though there'll be times when it's hard to explain something or I get stuck on plot, it's usually just, I'm inside it and I'm just following the story. With this one, I think it might be just the way the world has been. I keep mm. hearing uh, other writers saying they feel, they don't feel creative. They're having a lot of trouble writing yeah. for the last several months. It might, it might be that. Yeah, so it might be that. And it was strange because the lockdown time, I thought this is going to be great because I'll have so much more time to write. And I was writing almost not at all. And yeah. then as soon as lately now things have felt more normal and I'm going out seeing friends and it's wonderful to be back in the world, even though I loved being out of the world for a while, really. I, I loved the excuse of it. Now, maybe I, d I need that buzz of life to feel more stimulated. Yeah, that's definitely what a lot of other authors that we've been speaking to have said. And it, it's that what I felt like. I felt like, oh, when I have all this this time because we can't do anything, I'll get all this other stuff exactly. done. And you yeah. just, it just wasn't like that because it wasn't time that we chose to have. It was time that was imposed on us in mm. scary. <laughs> so I think everyone's learnt a lot about themselves during yeah. this time. I would have previous to this time said that... Um, you know, I, I'm like a recluse, I have reclusive tendencies, right? Because even though I have wonderful friends and family and stuff to keep me occupied, there's a little part of me whenever I'm off to an event that would be just as happy to stay at home, right? Like mm -hmm. a little part of me would be like, I could, I suppose I'll go and see my friends, but also wouldn't it be nice to just stay on the couch and read? <laughs> that part has gone well to sleep. That part of me is satisfied for decades to come and I now understand myself a bit better because I just don't, you know, I just don't think if I did give in to that impulse and always stayed home, I'd go crazy, much like we've all gone a bit crazy this year. Exactly. I know. And I was interested to find how much time it took for me to discover that whatever the extroverted social part of myself is, is is there to emerge and be desperate to be seeing people. Yeah. 
it did take a, it did take a while because like you, I just used to love it when things got cancelled. Oh, there's nothing better than when you've got plans and your friend takes you and is like, oh, I can't do it. And you're like, oh, what a shame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was beautiful for a little while. It was, I, I just loved it. And it was good. I'm, my dad died just before the COVID thing started. And in oh. a way that, thank you, in a way the lockdown almost seemed perfect because it seemed like, you know, when people lose people, when you lose someone, it's always that strangeness of the world is continuing and and you should be more dramatic. There should be drama in the world and it almost felt like the drama, the, the lockdown felt exactly right in a way that yes. everything should stop because yeah. my dad has died, everyone should stop. Yeah. And it's, in a way it was perfect to have that quiet retreat time for a while. Mm. And then I realised when I did start having coffees with friends again, I realised how much I needed to talk about my dad's illness and everything that had happened, I was going blah, 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 talking and, and starting to recover in a way that I hadn't in that time alone, even though there, it seemed like it, in, a, in one way it was perfect, in another way it was, it was so important to be able to be mm. interacting again. It comes back to what we were talking to about your book is that balance is so important and that right. I think it's the key state of being for kind of anything really you can apply it across the board is that we we've got to try and strive for balance exactly yeah <laughs> well i know we've gone over time but it's so, it's so great talking to you that um i never really want to wrap things up but but we have to so <laughs> um thank you so so much jacqueline for coming and speaking to us about the song it's been a pleasure it's been such a pleasure. It's so lovely talking to you both. I didn't want to stop either. So, <laughs> so lovely to hear. Thank you. And thank um, you for being so kind about the book. Both of you. Thank you. Oh, we're just being truthful. No, yeah, when, you, when you're in love with the book, there's no end to it. And everyone listening, you can get a copy of The Soul and Prince of Cloudburst or any of Jacqueline Moriarty's amazing practices, all of which I highly recommend, at your local bookstore or online at Bookopia. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.